Howdy, and welcome to Old, New, Borrowed, and Blues, a podcast about songwriting. I'm your host, Jack Summers. Each month, I'm joined by a talented songwriter to chat about their process, inspiration, and life making music. Along the way, they play four songs. An old song, a new song, a cover song, and the saddest song they've ever written. This month's guest is Ben Wint. Ben is the lead singer of The Way Way Back and host of Kansas City's third best open mic, Song Lab at the Rhino. Ben also runs the Rhino and its booking. I'm so, so honored to have Ben on this podcast because he's created such a special community at the Rhino. It's a welcoming place where people listen and share their music. It is the first place that I ever felt people listening to my songs. It's the first place that I ever had a ticketed show. And because of this, it's become a very, very important place to me. I can't thank Ben enough for what he does to keep the Rhino being what it is. He also makes fantastic music on top of all of that. He is a thoughtful and talented songwriter. His lyrics, performance style, and voice make him the total package in my mind. In this episode, we cover some particularly heavy stuff, so please, please listen with care. But we also have a lot of fun along the way. You won't want to miss this episode. You're in for a real treat. Ladies, gentlemen, human beings, here is the one and only Ben Went with an old song called Mustangs and Montagues. Drive myself insane If I keep going home away from you With nothing left to show With a single strand of hair on my coat Another week deep in this Another week deep now With nothing left to show With a single strand of hair on my coat I won't back down from this feeling I can't shake Until you see the way you make me feel So waste my time with talk of everything I waste my time Standing here with nothing As you're tearing down my walls I'll pick apart the words you say Justify them in my head And now I'm searching for some substance Through this lonely midnight call As I drive on mental rain Cause when you're not with me now I'm not the same hard for me to understand I can't seem to find a flaw in anything but distance the space that becomes you and me it's getting late it's cold outside and these covers seem so empty without a capulet inside I won't back down from this feeling I can't shake until you see the way you make me so waste my time with talk of everything. I waste my time standing here with 
nothing As you're tearing down my walls I pick up by the words you say Justify them in my head now Searching for some substance In this lonely midnight call As I drive home in the rain Cause when you're not with me now I'm not the same is the place where I always go wrong Where my lips won't form the phrases So I put them in a song Cause here my continents are constant I wrap my feelings with these chords And if I get my point across Maybe I won't be ignored So now I'm standing here with nothing Cause you've torn out all my walls Hope you take the words I sing Memorize them in your mind And as you lip sing in my lyrics Caught up in each chord change Hope this melody might make you say When you're not with me now You're not the same Cause when I'm not with you now I'm not the same And I can't I can't be with you, then I guess I'll have to go on just the same. All right, that was Ben Went with an old song called Mustangs and Montagues. Ben, welcome to the Old New Bard and Blues podcast. It's my pleasure. I am a huge fan. I subscribe, listen to every episode. Uh, this is an out-of-body experience to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on. I've I've wanted you on like since the beginning, and then I heard somebody be like, yeah, Ben was talking like he wants to be on your I podcast. On podcast. And so I was bad. like, oh my gosh, so bad. I need oh, to get so Ben on. And, please, yeah. and now here. Oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you for having me, Jack. This is a wonderful podcast. The Thank people you. who are listening know that, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess let's just, let's hop right into it. Um, we usually start with your songwriting beginnings. What made it all happen? Why'd you start? Oh yeah. So I would say I've always been pretty musical. My family's very musical, but I felt drawn to write songs when I started to fall in love with, uh, punk rock. I I liked music a lot, and then there was a stretch of about about six months where I heard My Own Worst Enemy by Lit and All the Small Things by Blink-182, and then shortly after What's My Age Again by Blink-182, and those three songs kind of made my head explode, and then I kind of went down the deep, dark dive shortly after I heard... um, an older song basket case by green day, which had, had been out for a few years, but I, I, you know, I was pretty young. I didn't have access to, uh, a lot of music, especially music that, you know, cusses and stuff like that. Um, and I had always really liked the cars. My parents loved the cars and they were one of my favorite bands. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden it was like, Oh my gosh, this is like the cars, but it's faster and louder and <laughs> just like has more teeth to it. And the guitars are like so sparkly and palm muted and loud. And, it it was just like a chemical reaction. And like from that moment on, I was like, I want a guitar. Uh, I, I think I asked for a guitar that year for Christmas and was told no 
basically because my parents knew how impulsive I was and probably yeah. that it was just a passing <laughs> fad. And then after like two straight years of being like, no, really, I want a guitar and kind of starting to noodle around a little bit on um, my mom's uh, guitar. She, she's a guitarist. Uh, they were like, OK, I think actually he is serious about this one. And then I got one for Christmas. I guess it would have been when I was in sixth grade. And I really immediately was like, I want to write my own songs. I wanted to learn other people's songs, but I wanted to write my own songs because I I felt just this explosive energy from the music I was influenced by. And I was like, I want to make more of more of that. Yeah. So it, it was like maybe really a genre that that sparked it all. I can't explain it because I mean, punk probably is still my favorite genre. But I mean, I listen to so many genres of music now, but there was something specifically about punk and the way it felt a little bit dangerous to my suburban white mind and yeah it it cost just a little bit more than my parents wanted it to and enema of the state for like what 82 was <laughs> uh-huh. like my parents were like that's disgusting you know like there were it was just the right amount of like rebellious and edgy that my little 4.0 suburban white ass was like can i cuss on the podcast sorry um was <laughs> like was yeah. like oh wow this is edgy and cool you know and it it just it it really it did just like explode in my head oh my gosh you can do things i you know i immediately started wanting to learn how to skateboard and um uh the tony hawk pro skater games were like a huge (laughs) huge influence on like my life and my personality i was a big ninja turtles kid so i think probably the seed was planted by michelangelo years (laughs) before and then it just kind of blossomed once it got some blink 182 sprinkles on it yeah. Talk to me about uh, your parents and what kind of music they were into and, and yeah. said they played. My parents are awesome. They're 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 wonderful. My my family's this gross sitcom family. <laughs> my parents met in a show choir in college. So they're both extremely musical. They're both singers. My mom is a very good piano player and guitarist. She actually um, doesn't play a whole lot anymore. But um, we always had, you know, a, a, an upright piano and her 12-string Ovation Acoustic, which was a very, very hard guitar to kind of learn how to play. Like, 12-strings, like, I still can't really play the 12-string. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was the first guitar I ever noodled on, was her Ovation 12-string. And, uh, you know, there was just always music in the house. They were always listening to really fantastic music. I mean, the Beatles, uh, Elton John, Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, Boston, Foreigner, Fleetwood Mac. I mean, they just listened to great stuff and that's what i was exposed to just from jump and then also i guess like uh musical soundtracks and things like that you know um godspell and and things like that but yeah i i just was really fortunate to have really good music kind of going on all the time in my house uh bruce springsteen e street band big 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 one yeah yeah so when you started writing these songs did you share them right away with your family definitely and my mom one of my favorite things about my mom. So my mom's a, she's a shrink. She's a, a therapist. And, um, she always gave objective criticism. She like, she it was constructive. It was never mean, but it was like, Oh, so this song is just two chords over and over again. Have you thought about a third chord? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, this song seems to be about you being bored on the bridge maybe you explain why you wish you weren't bored or, you know, and, and she would, she did such a good job when I look back of causing me to 
challenge my own songs and songwriting, even when I was like 11, 12 years old and like just making things that aren't actually songs, like just because it has yeah. chords and words doesn't necessarily mean it's a song. But I always felt like I could go to them and show them and, and play it. And um, I also had a, a very, very supportive, cool piano teacher, uh, Susan Campagna, who um, totally changed my life. I took piano for about three years and then also took private voice lessons with her. And uh, I would often show her my songs and stuff, too. And, and similarly, would get criticism. And um, I don't know. I feel really blessed that I had that in my life. I, I recognize that as a privilege for sure. Yeah, that's an in, that's an incredible environment to kind of totally grow and blossom yeah. as a songwriter. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have any like exciting stories of like my mom being like, <laughs> you'll never make it, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, dad, you don't understand me. No, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I, I think that's good. Yeah. Um, we all, we all like kind of want to get that edge to us a little yeah. bit, but, uh, again, mine came from, yeah, pop punk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so talk to me about, uh, like your initial, like your early performances. Um, sure. Were you were you trying to find a band right off the bat, or did you go? I solo? wanted to be in a band so bad. So before I played guitar, I did a lot of kind of musical y kind of stuff at church, mm-hmm. and um, I was in the fifth grade talent show. I sang "I Want It That Way" by the Backstreet Boys, <laughs> which was my first live solo performance. And then yeah, I mean, as soon as I started really playing guitar, um, I I began immediately recruiting bandmates. My first band band uh, was my buddy Danny Lindsay, who's still one of my very best friends um, on drums, and he's just a truly phenomenal drummer. And then friend Connor Orth, who over the years have kind of like lost touch with a little bit, but um, think very fondly of. Uh, we went to different high schools, and, you know, uh, that, this was a very long time ago. I'm getting very old. And uh, <laughs> he, he played bass. Um, I think more, oft, as, as often the case, I think, with young bands where it's like, we need someone to play blank. And then like, you just get your friend to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get a bass. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the three of us played. My first gig with a band was the eighth grade talent show. And we played all the small things and Green Day's When I Come Around. And mm-hmm. um, that was really phenomenal. And I'll never forget that. It was, it was uh, a moment in life where I felt truly like I was where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be doing and, uh, truly joyful and fulfilled. And it was just like, well, I'm going to chase this until I die. That's incredible. (laughs) Why would I not? (laughs) When did you find a band to play original music with? Sure. So shortly after that, I, I was in my first band where we were writing original stuff. Band was called halfway decent named after an audio karate song. And uh, that was my buddy Eric Rucker on drums. And uh, eventually, actually, my very good friend Caleb Lumby, who's the lead guitarist of The Way Way Back, who I've been making music with for a very long time now. And uh, yeah, we wrote we wrote originals. They were almost all breakup songs. Um, the best was that at one point, the bassist of the band uh, made out with my girlfriend. And so I wrote <laughs> like a bunch of songs about how much I hated both of them. And like <laughs> looking back, it was crazy, awkward and toxic and wild. Um, but that's kind of what the emo punk thing was at the time. Uh, a lot of toxic masculinity and, uh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I kind of just from there continued to write songs, find people who wanted to be in, in bands. And, uh, for most, I don't know, most chunks of my life ever since I've, I've been in a band of some sorts because 
again, I mean, once I, once I was introduced to that feeling of playing live in front of people, I, I just knew I want to spend as many minutes in my life as I can on a stage with a guitar in my hand singing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where does this song come from in particular in your, in your life? Sure. So Mustangs and Montagues, when you said old, I, I was like, you know what? I want to really challenge myself. I dusted one off. I haven't played this in a long time. And uh, I wrote this when I was a senior in high school. And uh, it's uh, embarrassingly autobiographical. I will not say her name, but <laughs> if she listens, I can't imagine that she does. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a really uh, very, very strong feelings for a, a, a girl, young woman who um, attended Blue Valley North High School and their mascot was the Mustangs. And oh. <laughs> uh, I, um, I, I, I was super into her. And there was this uh, what felt very adult at the time component of distance because she lived in Overland Park, Kansas, and I lived in um, North Kansas City. And, you know, that was like 35, 40 minutes away and and, um, just uh, feeling at times like we were from two different worlds. And, you know, there were things at at play that kept us apart. And, of course, my, you know... uh, 18 year old brain was like, this is just like Romeo and Juliet. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, so I had to get that Mustangs and Montague's, uh, reference me, me being the Montague. And she actually had a button on, I think it was on her purse or a jacket or something like that that said Montague. And I, I joked that I was like, I'm, I'm the Montague. You're the Capulet. Yeah. Uh, kind of. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to dust one off that actually was old. It, it's, yeah. I would call it, the first decent song I ever wrote. I, I have some older songs for sure, but um, people would stop listening to your podcast. And no. I, I don't want that. <laughs> so I, I picked the first song that I'm a, a little bit proud of that I ever wrote. I think there's some really good turns of phrase in the lyrics. I think the chorus is really catchy. And I like the bookend of the, the guitar riff at the beginning and the end. I'm, I'm proud of it in general. Yeah. So was this ever recorded anywhere, or is this my the old first? band Blackmore did a full band version of it? It's uh, I'm sure it exists somewhere on the internet, someplace. But yeah, it was um, we were kind of shockingly emo pop punk, um, so it's a little more distorted, a little more ruckus. Um, but I was listening to a lot of Goo Goo Dolls and Thought I Blind at the time, and I think those influences definitely snuck in there, maybe even more than the pop punk stuff. Yeah, yeah. When did uh, Way Way Back start, and how long has that been going Yeah, on? so I've been in the Way Way Back. Um, so my buddy Caleb Lumby, who, uh, again, I've been playing in bands with him since I was 15, and um, we we kind of just started messaging each other. Oh, my gosh, found found this CD, you know, in storage. Let's listen to our old demos, haha. And uh, one day he just shot me, about six years ago, he shot me some, some things he was just noodling around on. He was like, Hey, any, hey, would, do you have any vocal melody ideas for this? Like, you know, it'd be fun to just kind of like put something together. Mm-hmm. And we started to, and I think we were both just kind of a little bit bored at the time. Neither one of us was in a major musical project. And, uh, and then time kind of went by, we recorded a couple of demos here and there. And then somehow one of our demos ended up getting played on a local radio show for, uh, for local music. And we, we still don't really know who submitted it or how it got there. Really? Um, we had shared it with a few people. Like it wasn't like a secret, but, um, nobody has ever been able to tell us like how it ended up there, but it did. <laughs> and there was a fairly positive response to it. And so yeah. we were like, should we put a band together and just kind of do this? And, uh, and that was about four years ago. And so, um, yeah, so it, it's, it's been about four years that 
we've been playing with with a full band and and uh it kind of started as this not quite joke but just kind of too bored you know uh recently married i was a dad uh he was soon to be a dad and uh and then now we're we're a bunch of dads yeah. writing skateboard music it's it's a lot of fun <laughs> that's incredible yeah 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 i'm uh I, I was not quite sure what I was going to get from old Ben. Um, and, and so I feel like you kind of, uh, knew who you were from the start a little bit with, with the genre you've like, um, kind of committed yourself to that. Do you, do you feel like you've, uh, yeah, I think like, sorry to cut you off, no, but I think I know where you're going. And that's like, by the time I was 18, I had been writing songs for about seven years. Yeah. I mean, I really did start very seriously writing songs around 11 or 12. And um, I don't know, you know, there's a like Malcolm Gladwell theory of like 10,000 hours. I had definitely put in 10,000 hours of writing songs and sitting alone on my guitar with my guitar, writing lyrics, writing poetry. I'm a huge fan of poetry, I actually majored in creative writing and emphasis in poetry in college. And um, so I, I do think especially by the time that you get to there, mm-hmm. I, I had spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted to be and what I liked. And, you know, I mean, I, I think I've always considered probably my two biggest influences to be Paul Simon and Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was, I'm also a big, um, Stephen Jenkins from third eye blind fan. I think maybe he's kind of a little bit of an ass in real life, but his songs are really good. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Resnick from Goo Goo Dolls. Um, yeah. So I, I, I knew what I liked and I knew who my influences were and again, like by 18, I had been, I'd been doing it for a while. Um, I won't say that I was like, great, but I at least knew what I wanted to do by that point. So somewhere in there, I, I do think I knew what my voice was and what I wanted to sound like more or less. And that song came from a really honest place and it, it feels genuine. And I, I think that's the reason why it's one of my first songs that I think really holds up is that it, it's not me being like, what if I did a Green Day song? What yeah. if I did a Yellow Card song? It's me being like, I truly, I wrote that song because I had this huge crush on this chick. I I was like, this is my Hail Mary. I'm going to bring my acoustic guitar. I'm going to serenade her. Oh. And I'm going to kiss her. And uh, I won't tell you how that went. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I, that was kind of where it came from. It was just this very genuine, sweet thing that I wanted to do. And I think that's why the song ends on, um, I can't change the way you you feel. And uh, so if, if I can't be with you, I have to go on just the same. Because I, I kind of wanted to express to her, look, this is how I feel. And if you don't feel the same, like, I guess I'll have to move on. But it, um, it definitely was me trying to draw from the real, real, you know? Yeah, I think... I think that's maybe what makes it feel like that to you. Yeah. That, that it's the first, like, song you're proud of. It Maybe it's the first song that, like, you were just trying to be yeah, you. Yeah, just kind of fell out of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it feels legit and real, and I, I love the, the Romeo and Juliet tie-in. Sure. It feels, <laughs> it's, it's funny now because I like it in the context of high school, you yeah. know. Well, they're supposed to be kids, you know. And it's one of those things where, as you get older, you're like, oh, my gosh. But yeah. <laughs> I didn't write it now. I wrote it when I was 18, and so I, I'll stand by it. Yeah. yeah. You just use the required reading. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I love I love the tie-in. Uh, and it's a it's a killer title to just... Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's punchy. I, it's I mean, very punchy. Yeah. Very dashboard <laughs> confessional. Yeah. All right. Up next, we have a new song from Ben called King of Clarity.
say you hate to be the center of attention you say it clearly from the stage you say you hate to be the one to cause a scene so you call quiet on the set from your director's seat could it be you Could it be you? Camera one closes in as Occam's razor sharpens. Your friends all tell you that you changed. Said you'd never see yourself become something you hate. So you closed your eyes and just looked away. You say you see yourself as calm and collected You swear it's hell you're blue in the face You've proudly crowned yourself the king of clarity You can't even see how you could be wrong Mid-apology Could it be you? Could it be you? Camera one closes in as Occam's razor sharpens. Friends, I'll tell you that you changed. Said you'd never see yourself become something you hate. So you closed your eyes and just looked away. When the stage is blacked out, I'll accept through the glow of the ghost light. Do you see? Where you going? Nobody's perfect, but it's only fair that you know that all your anxious fears are coming true. You don't just think they're talking about you, they're really talking about you all the time. They're talking about you right now. Occam's razor sharpens Your friends all tell you that you changed Said you'd never see yourself become something you hate So you closed your eyes and just looked away Yeah, you closed your eyes and just looked away You closed your eyes and just looked away someone else's picture in your dressing room is the mirror lying to you did you just let yourself drift that far away all right that was a new song from ben called king of clarity ben what has changed since Mustangs and Montagues and King of Clarity. Oh my gosh, that's I forgot that you asked that question on the show. I should have <laughs> uh, should have had that prepared, but you're right. Um, so I think for me, probably the biggest thing that's changed is just my actual 
life, I still have the same biggest influences. Obviously I've found other bands over the years that I, I dig. And, um, this particular song I wrote when I was watching the Beatles documentary, get back. I just found that to just be a borderline spiritual experience. I was so blown away by it. I devoured it and I, it just walked around jingling around in my head for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it was so inspirational. And, um, I think anybody who's ever been in a band probably felt like violently seen by that. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I, 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 I think the biggest thing that's changed is, is just my actual life as a, as a human being, which is to say that I'm married, I have kids, I am in therapy, I am psychiatrically medicated. And I, I think that I'm coming from the same place, really. I think we talked about that right before the break, is that I think by the time I was about 18 or so, I, I think I knew what I wanted to do with music and who I wanted to be and what I wanted to say. And so, really, yeah, what's changed is the stuff around me and then me reacting to the inputs and just my identity. Yeah. Does that I, make I, sense? Is yeah, that fair totally. Okay. I, I totally feel like the... Uh, get back influence on this. That makes me really happy. That it, now it's uh, the cameras. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Right. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about yeah. that in a little bit. Yeah. But do you want to talk about, um, first, maybe your writing process in general, and then we can maybe get more specific to this song. Sure. I usually start by noodling around on the guitar and then stumbling upon something I kind of like. Occasionally noodling around on the piano and finding something I like, usually guitar though, and then trying to find what the song is trying to say or wants me to say. And I I really think I found that through Paul Simon, who um, I've read a lot, like a lot of books about him and seen documentaries, and he, I, he's just my absolute songwriting hero. And Graceland, which is my favorite album of all time, he, he wrote a lot of those songs by basically having a melody stuck in his head and, and famously the title track Graceland, he just kept singing Graceland, Graceland. And then finally he was like, I have to figure out why I keep saying the word Graceland yeah. instead of fighting it. I need to figure out why. And he literally took a road trip to Graceland and then wrote a song about the trip to Graceland and the fact that he couldn't stop saying the word Graceland. And it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite songs ever written by a human being. And I, I tend to, Right. Similarly, I don't know if it's because I want to copy him or if because I was drawn to him because I relate at this point, it's hard for me to separate the two. But yeah, I I usually noodle around, find something that kind of just seems stuck in there and try to shake it out and figure out what it is. And then I go in kind of like a Sudoku puzzle and fill in the blanks. I'm like, okay, I have this and this and this. Sometimes it's a verse. Sometimes it's a chorus. Sometimes I have a verse and a bridge, but I have no chorus. And, um, that's why I reference the Sudoku puzzle because it's kind of fun. It's a fun challenge where I get to go like, what does the song need? Yeah. What's it lacking? What would fill it out? Um, oh no, there's two sevens in this box. That's not right. You know? And, um, and, and just kind of trying to solve the puzzle of the song, try to, try to listen to what the song wants itself to be. And that which sounds like hippie dippy bullshit, but I, I do, I do mean that. I, 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 um, I try not to fight the inspiration. Just try to lean into it instead. Yeah. Has that, uh, maybe changed over the years as you've become. I think yeah. when I was a little younger, there were it was more often that I was like, I want to write a song about blank. Mm-hmm. But then as I get older, 
first of all, I've written a lot of songs, so there aren't as many things that I'm like, I want to write a song about because I have a lot of songs that are already about those things. And secondly, I, I guess, I don't know if this is just getting older and being more patient or what, but I just feel less called to write a song about something or for someone. And instead I just want to make good music that's of quality and is enjoyable. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I just think like when you're a kid, you're kind of full of piss and vinegar and you're just like, this is a song about authority, you know, or or like this is a love song, you know? And instead now it's more like, what is this song about? Yeah. So as you've kind of grown and become more busy with life and and the rhino and, and performances and all that stuff. Yeah. Do you find it harder to get time like by yourself to just write? Um, probably if you had asked me that about 10 years ago, right? About the time I got married, I would have said yes. Mm -hmm. But instead what I've done is I've found different places to write and different ways to write. So like a lot of the time I will drive in the car in silence and fill the silence with myself and sing a melody or like talk through an idea. And then if something really strikes me, I will um, turn on like the, you know, a voice memo and, and record kind of what I have in my head. And, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm, um, you know, doing the dishes or th- things like that, I'll try, I try to find moments of silence in my life and then fill those silences with creativity. And uh, yeah, so I, I do think I, yes, uh, I do struggle to find time to sit down for 90 minutes uninterrupted and play guitar like I used to. But I instead have, over the years, found places, nooks and crannies for creativity, if that makes sense. Yeah, that that's awesome. That's a good... Um, like, that's a pro tip for any, you know, moms, dads, husbands, wives, etc. Uh, yeah, th- find, find new spots for it. Instead of being like, wow, I don't ever have time for it anymore, think to yourself, is there another place I could do this? Could I do this in the shower? Could I do this while I'm driving? Etc. Yeah, it's it's adaptable, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think after you go through the change, initially, there might have been... Like, there was definitely a year or two there where it was like, oh my gosh, I don't ever... Especially once kids got involved. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, broad question. All right. Where does it come from? Where does the creative spark come from, the, the need to write in general? My brain never stops ever (laughs) and that's where it comes from my brain is i I feel blessed i you know really hope that i live a long time and my brain is healthy and i continue to do it but yeah my brain never stops which is sometimes the hardest worst thing about me i have uh anxiety disorder i i have insomnia um i i can't ever stop i can't ever shut up i can't ever stop thinking but the fun side of that is that because I'm never done thinking, I'm often coming up with ideas and daydreaming and, and scheming. And, uh, so yeah, the inspiration mostly comes from, um, I guess like, you know, what is it? Uh, energy can't be created or destroyed. It can only change form or I guess does that matter? But yeah, yeah, um, I guess it's that I can't destroy it. So I have to change it. That, yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. <laughs> Did you, was that on the spot? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, nice. like I said, my brain never stops. <laughs> um, so what drives you as a songwriter 
to keep going and, and uh, coming up with new songs? Is it the crowd? Is it is it yourself? The main thing is that it's still very fun and satisfying. Yeah. If that ever changes, I don't know. Um, there was a moment in my life where I was very sad and going through a very hard time. And it was a little bit less fun. And I slowed down a lot. I didn't stop, but I did slow down a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to say maybe someday it will stop being fun for one reason or another. But while it's still fun, writing a song, doing that Sudoku puzzle part of the song is one of the best highs I've ever experienced in my life. And I'm lucky to say I've, I don't know how many songs I've written over the years. I mean, I'm not saying I've written all of these good songs, but I've surely written 50 or 60 songs or maybe more. And every single time, even if it's not a song that sticks, I get that, oh, yes, I solved the Sudoku puzzle feeling. Yeah. And then performing them live is a whole nother thing. And um, the handful of songs that have been received well enough to have people sing the words back at me and things like that, that's a, that's a crazy high. And I don't know. Um w- spoilers i guess we're all gonna die someday and so like <laughs> what why what? not oh so sorry dude we'll <laughs> talk off pod uh i don't know just like why not do things that make you happy as much as yeah. you possibly can especially when they're things that don't hurt other people and potentially even you know make the world better and so i guess the other answer would be that a lot of my songs especially anymore are about trying to share my experience and the things i've been through and try to be relatable and I don't know, I guess hope that people can see themselves in my music and maybe work through their own problems. Or like a lot of my songs I talk about very openly about going to therapy and taking psychiatric medication and stuff like that. And so I don't know, maybe my words could normalize it in such a way that somebody suddenly feels more comfortable and can improve their own life. And I mean, that's not why I do it, but um, I always am hopeful that if I am a beacon and make light that some people might, you know, see that light and feel a little brighter and feel a little safer. And yeah. 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 That's uh very well put. Um, <laughs> I'm not tearing up, <laughs> but uh, so <laughs> let, let's, let's circle a little back to King of Clarity. Let's. Uh, so that came after watching get back. Does yes. it, does it uh, purposefully resemble like interpersonal relationships you have like with your own band in that setting or is it is it something completely different you're really close it is a takedown song but it's about me and um i had been writing a lot about how much better i've gotten and how much progress i've made and i have and i'm very proud of myself yeah but i thought it would be a little bit dishonest to only write songs about how much better I've gotten because I still have very bad days. I still have low, low points. I still have episodes of my PTSD where I have horrible crippling flashbacks. And I also am a work in progress like all of us and battle my ego and, um, you know, the fact that I'm a human being and I have all sorts of innate contradictions and I'm a hypocrite like we all are. And So I thought maybe it was time to be a little bit more honest about the dark side of it. And that's kind of where it, it came from. I, um, I started just kind of asking myself, what would it sound like if I was going to write a song 
about how I'm not as great as <laughs> I present myself to be. And the very first line immediately came to me, which was that uh, you say you hate to be the center of attention. You say it clearly from the stage. And um, just that I kind of like to have this, ah, shucks, me persona, but then I'm also like, constantly on a stage talking into a microphone asking people for their attention asking people to pay money to see my music and that's hypocrisy right, you know yeah. and um i don't think i'm a bad person it's not like a i hate you song i think it i tried to write it relatively tenderly it kind of tried to write it like a friend talking to a friend about how you could do better but it seemed un i guess it seemed disingenuous to write a bunch of songs about change and not include a song about how sometimes you can change for the worse or, right. or be avoiding a, a major change that you do need to make. Yeah. And the, uh, the Occam's razor chimes in line. <laughs> uh, do you want, do you want to talk through that? So that was bit? one of my, actually, so, so I, the verse came to me very quickly and then at the chorus, what I often do when I'm writing a chorus, uh, like I said, the Sudoku puzzle kind of element of it is I'll go, okay, well, these are the chords. This is the melody. What am I trying to say? And then what I'll do is I will write the sophomore English version of what I want to say. I'll just literally say what I want to say, which is like, I think probably the first draft of that was something like the most obvious answer to this is that you're the root of the problem and you need to fix it. Mm -hmm. And so then I was like, what's a more poetic way to say that? What are other ways to say? And I thought about the most likely outcome. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. So Occam's razor. Yeah. And then I was like, what's a poetic way to talk about that. And I liked the fact that it was Occam's razor. And so I liked the idea of Occam's razor sharpening and, um, the idea that the truth cuts and in and things yeah. like that. And so, um, I don't know. I really like word play. Again, I majored in creative writing, emphasis and poetry. I, I love turns of phrase and, um, alliteration and internal rhymes and, and, puns and things like that my my dog's name is ruth bader ginsbark and my <laughs> cat's name is pertrude stein because um, my wife is also a dork but yeah i i i think there were a, um a lot of moments in the song this one especially but i, I think it happens with all of mine where i wrote the the reader's digest you know surface level version of it and then asked myself can i make it a little bit more poetic is there a more interesting way to say this is this a I always ask myself, am I using cliches? Am I using things that are trite, overwrought? And if I am, try to call myself out and see if I can just find a slightly more interesting way to say it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so is this song going to be on the upcoming Way, yes. Way Back? Yes. So the Way, Way Back, um, we have a new EP coming out. It's going to be called Trying, and it is going to come out at the end of May. And this song will be on it. It's not just solo acoustic. It started solo acoustic, and then we ended up writing a full band version of it, which is really exciting and i can't wait for people to hear it it's uh as you might have heard from the song it, it, it's really not a pop punk song it's really not it's mm -hmm. way more i think i think i don't know um i probably always accidentally write pop punk but it, <laughs> it's a little more oasis a little more beatles and we really tried to reflect that in the arrangement too there's some organ there's not a whole lot of electric guitar except for on the bridge um the drums are way more classic rock than they are modern pop punk and i'm, I'm really excited for people to hear a full band Awesome. Uh, where do you, uh, where would you like to see this go? Uh, is my, my last question on this section I usually ask. So I guess generally like what, what goals do you have? Oh, uh, musically? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my next big project as the way, way back kind of promote this record and, um, 
probably won't be writing for a while. We're going to just enjoy the record and play it and share it with people. Um, not to get off the rails too much, but the last record we put out, we kind of didn't get to do that because of COVID. Right. And so we're going to really enjoy it. I think it's probably, I would be shocked if we put out another record in the next year or two, because I think this time around, we actually want to just enjoy the new stuff and play it and share it. But I am going to kind of shift focus as a writer to my solo project, Land Lion, which is um, a little bit more the bright eyes kind of side of my influence, a little more singer songwritery, a little bit more acoustic guitar. And um, long story short, my goal uh, is I'm going to release two EPs on the same day, and uh, they're going to be they have to follow this is I, sh- I don't know am I going into the weeds too much? No, please. They, they're going to each follow their own set of rules. So. Um, one is going to be more folky singer songwritery and it's going to have acoustic guitar and drums and trumpet and piano and ukulele. And then the other one is going to be more postal service, um, keyboardy and it's going to have electric guitar and synth and drum machine. But the rule is no instrument that appears on one of the EPs can appear on the other. And so I'm going to release two five song EPs on the same day that are, um, basically going to cover a lot of the same lyrical themes, but I'm trying to explore as many different textures as possible. And I'm going to have two different producers and, um, I, I'm excited about the challenge. It's going to be yeah, a lot of fun. I'm yeah. excited to hear yeah. that. Yeah. As well as the new way, way back album, which I'm very excited about as well. Not yes. to, yeah, I don't want to look past that into the future too much. Cause I'm really excited for the way, way back record. Awesome. Up next, we have rainbow connection covered by Ben went. so many songs about rainbows what's on the other side rainbows are visions only illusions rainbows have nothing to hide so we've been told and some choose to believe it I know the wrong way to see Someday we'll find it The rainbow connection The lovers, the dreamers and me Who said that every wish Would be heard and answered Wished on the morning star Somebody thought of that And someone believed it Look what that's done so far What's so amazing That keeps us stargazing What do we think we might see? Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me, all of us under its spell. We know that it's probably magic. Have you been half asleep? Have you heard voices? I've heard them call 
calling my name Is this the same song They call to young sailors The voice might be one and the same I've heard it too many times To ignore it It's something that I'm supposed to be Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. All right, that was a borrowed song from Ben Wint called Rainbow Connection. Ben, why did you choose to play Rainbow Connection for me? So Rainbow Connection is one of my favorite songs ever. It is written by the greatest banjo player of all time, Kermit the Frog. <laughs> and um, I, I remember the first time I ever saw the Muppet movie, which is where it's originally from. Um, I just, I was so blown away by the magic of it. I mean, yeah. I was a child, but... Um, I I don't know. I don't know if I can talk about this all again. Too emotional, but that's fine. I always cry and shit all it. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just um I, I, I just remember feeling like how how are they doing this? You know, I mean like I don't want to sound too like back in my day, but before computer graphics, you knew like, well, if I'm watching something, they did it physically somehow you know maybe it was claymation maybe stop motion but like how did they do this and the way they shot the scene where kermit the frog plays the banjo and in, in the swamp and sings rainbow connection is they built an underwater tank for jim henson to go in and he actually had to record the scene underwater what in a like diving bell and it like it was shot on a set but like the water and everything's real and it's so, like he's underneath the water puppeteering kermit which is why they could do like full 360 around him oh my god there's nobody back there and so i think it was like this moment that like um i love film i'm i i've done a lot of acting and, and and things like that in my life and so it was this moment where the magic of the movies felt very real the music was so beautiful and hopeful and optimistic and about dreams and who you're supposed to be and um I, it just lit a fire in me and it, it stuck with me from a very early age. It's always been a very um, beloved song in my family. And um, I mean, I just absolutely worship Jen Henson. I, I think he's like one of the coolest people who ever lived. And he, he had just a fascinating life. Um, his brother died when he was very, very young. And when that happened, he basically said to himself, either nothing matters or everything matters. Yeah. And he chose that everything matters and threw himself into it and decided, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I don't know what I have. I'm going to do the things I love. I'm going to inspire people to do the things they love. And I don't know. I think it's like one of the most beautiful things that a human being can do is to just try to make light. And, uh, so that song's always spoken to me. I, uh, had like a really cool moment where like one of my best friends I ever met, I got to, it's, it's, so, it's such a weird story because my, my wife was friends with his wife and now we're all very good friends, but I didn't know either of them. I just tagged along as the plus one to their wedding. 
and he and his mom, their mother son dance was Rainbow Connection. And I was like, Aww. what? This dude's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it really kickstarted our friendship. And it, it's just been um, so important to me over the years. And it's a song I sing to my kids. And it, it's just so hopeful. And um, I don't know. It emulates me on my best days, what I hope I can bring to this world in my lifetime. And uh, so, yeah. So I just like to share it. And I have a lot of fun playing it. There's a, you know, this is an audio podcast, but um, on the bridge, there's a key change where uh, the only way I could figure out how to do it is to slide the capo from capo two to capo three. So that's why uh-huh. you hear me kind of do like <laughs> with the guitars because my left hand is sliding the capo into place for the, uh, the modulation as it goes up half a step. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I absolutely love that song and I adore it. I adore the Muppets. Um, Fozzie Bear is probably one of the five most influential people in my life and yeah yeah um my mom's gonna love that she's a huge muppet fan Yay! yeah we used to watch the muppet show like it's, it's incredible on dvd because it was older than me yeah but yeah. yeah i have i have huge connections to them so good uh but yes very very beautiful song and um a staple of just like popular culture in general yeah. to the point where whatever emotions you have about that song are, I feel like just flooded from like the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, So it's just, it's so pure and it's such a killer opening line. Like if you can just like remove yourself and just look at it, like technically speaking, I think it's so hard to start songs with questions, but when it's done right, it's like such a smart, cool way to start it because immediately your audience is thinking and it's like why are there so many songs about rainbows good point and you're like whoa first of all there are a good amount and second of all why are you asking that and yeah just just wonderful and my favorite lyric of it probably i mean there's so many good lyrics but uh is uh somebody thought of that and somebody believed him and look what that's done so far and i just love i don't know it's such a, a simple little thing but it's like there are human beings who have lived who seem larger than life seem impossibly influential like you know like mlk you know like to just like uh decided to change the world yeah and uh i don't know i think in our society sometimes the lovers and the dreamers uh get underrated and overlooked because <laughs> uh i don't know a lot of the time the cynical people end up i think it's easier i think it's so much easier to be cynical it's so much easier to be nihilistic um and, uh, you know, it, it's a song for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so talk to me more generally about your influences as a songwriter. We've talked about it quite a bit, um, but uh, is there anything else you want to kind of add to what you've already stated? Oh, um, gosh. I mean, I, I, I definitely would say, I, I mean, I remember the very first time I ever heard Paul Simon's Graceland. My mom had it on cassette. We listened to it in the car just over and over and over again. And that was definitely the first time I connected to an album. And then probably shortly after, I kind of said, what are other albums that you like? I remember asking my mom, like, what are other albums that go, like, front to back that you like as much as that one? And I remember her putting in um, Born in the USA and Born to Run, Bruce Springsteen. And, like, yeah. those three albums, me being like, Mom, good choice. And then... Um, <laughs> Uh, and then Jackson Brown running on empty and like, just being like, my mom has good taste in music. <laughs> this stuff is good. And then, uh, I, you know, just over the years, I mean, 
I, I have a, a big musical theater background, so there have been a lot of musicals that I think probably influenced me a lot. Um, I, I love Rent. I don't care uh, whether or not people feel like it's aged well. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. I think it's beautiful. And um, it's, it's, it's like a weirdly big influence on me. I, I, I love The Who. Um, but yeah, I mean, all the, all the emo pop punk people that you think I'm probably influenced by, I'm yeah. probably influenced <laughs> by all of them. And then Bright Eyes are, are a massive influence as well. I think maybe a thing that really got to me was um, good movie soundtracks. Like, I guess I'm probably showing my millennial card here, but like Garden State and um, a, a few other movie soundtracks. I mean, Pulp Fiction is like a killer soundtrack. And, yeah. and I remember kind of feeling like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, it feels like the director, like, handed me a mixtape, which I think is actually a quote from Parks and Recreation, but it, it <laughs> is actually how I have felt in my life. And I kind of like that. And then I also, I don't know if it influences me or not. I guess it has to, right? I think anything we consume influences us. But I, like, I love hip-hop. I just don't think I can do it. Right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like, I love Outkast. Like, I think Outkast are, like, one of the best bands in the history of music. Agreed. And um, they have to influence me in some way. I guess I I do shove a lot of lyrics into songs. Maybe that's it. But I mean, like, I think Big Boy and Andre 3000 are two of the ten best rappers ever. And the fact that they're in the same band is insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nas, uh, uh, Kendrick, like I, I do really love hip hop and listen to a lot of hip hop. So that has to be in there somewhere. I just don't totally know where. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you, uh, choose songs to play, uh, why do you choose these songs? Like covers? Like, yeah. Other people's songs to play. And, and yeah, I always choose covers that I think have touched a truth that is my truth too. And I guess what I mean by that is I, maybe it's a song that a lot of people know that I really relate to the way, way back. We like to do a lot of pop covers. We do like, mm -hmm. I want it that way and a thousand miles and, and some things like that. Um, it's, it's, it's always to me about like, Hey, this is a truth that makes sense alongside my truths. This is somebody else's truth. So, um, like I really like to play neutral McHotel. Um, and I don't know if, how familiar they are with them, but basically they're, they're one kind of magnum opus record in the airplane over the sea yeah. is uh, about his brother who died. And I have felt a lot of similarities. I loved the album before. And then after my son died, I really felt like crazy connected to it. Right. Um, and the way he sings about his brother suddenly felt just even more poetic and, and, on the nose for me. And so, yeah, it's about finding people who have different life experiences, but have landed at the same truth and then finding a way to translate their truth to sound as much like my truth as possible. And, um, I don't know. I think that like without sounding like a hippy dippy weirdo, I, I, I do think that like when art of any medium is firing on all cylinders, that's what it's doing. It's, it's taking universal truths and filtering them through specific lenses and stories so that they're maybe a little bit more interesting and a little bit less broad, right? Like mm -hmm. every now and then there can be like an REM, everybody hurts that just happens to strike a chord. But usually when you try to have a truism like that or a platitude, it, it rings a little hollow because like, it, it, okay, everybody hurts. Yeah, sure. You know, like you have to write a pretty damn song, pretty damn good song, which REM did uh, <laughs> to pull that off, you know? 
usually if you're trying to just do the very broad, oh, everyone will relate to this, no one will relate to it because right. I made it too broad. Specifics are what make it better. And, and I, I like to, again, take a song that I think landed at a truth that's my truth too and, and then process it through my own lens. Yeah. And, and when you uh, perform these and practice these and play them on your own, are you trying to put your own like sonic spin on things? Yes. More so what I think I try to do is I try to call myself out when I'm going out of my way to do someone else's thing. And I, does that make sense? Yeah. So like if I'm playing a song and I go, you know what? I'm doing a third eye line song and I do a thing and I'm like, you know what? Steven Jenkins does that. I don't do that. Then I'm going to call myself out because it's phony. That That's karaoke. You know, mm-hmm. if, if he goes like, uh, I don't go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, hate, I'm not <laughs> hating on, uh, I like, I love Third Eye Blind. But, like, he does vocally things that, like, I just wouldn't do. So then instead I instead of, uh, is there a version of that that I can do that's more me? And if the answer is yes, then do it. And then if not, then maybe I cut that out of the cover. Or, yeah. um, oh, hey, you know, he plays this D chord here. I kind of like this D chord a little bit better. And, okay, well, the song's still the same, but I like my version a little bit better. So I'm going to do mine. And it, so it's that it's more about making sure I'm removing the things that are inauthentic to myself. than it is about making it mine. It's about making it less theirs than it is about making it more mine. I think. Yeah. I think, um, the covers I've heard you play, I, I are definitely from your voice. I mean, you have a very distinct, uh, sound to your voice, but, uh, I definitely feel that uh, connection uh, and the spin that you're trying to put on there. Thank uh, you. So I, I think you I think you cover well. Thank you. Uh, which is which is really cool. Um, so, what other media besides music do you consume, and oh how gosh. does that influence your songwriting? Sure. Yeah. I I mean, sci-fi is like my favorite. <laughs> Someday I'm going to write a like a science fiction rock opera nonsense yes. thing. Like Coed and Cambria are one of my absolute favorite bands of all time and it's because of their crazy like I like them no matter what, but they're sprawling like I don't know. Now it's like a 9 episode long space opera that they're writing is like so insane. And yeah, like Star Wars is my favorite thing ever and I love, I mean, I love Star Trek. I love Firefly. I, I love Futurama. I, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. So definitely science fiction, TV and movies, um, comic books. Um, I, I I play a good amount of video games. I think when I play video games, I do it more to zone out though. So probably those don't influence my art too much. But yeah, I mean, definitely science fiction. And um, I like, I don't know what you would even call this genre, but the kind of, Malcolm Gladwell, like kind of the New Yorker editorial kind of sort of halfway economy slash anthropology writing. I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff. And yeah, I don't know, trying to think about stuff from different angles. And like, you know, it's not to say that I necessarily always agree with every single thing those writers say, but I like challenging thought. And I definitely think that that influences my songwriting, trying to think about things from different angles and vantage points and viewpoints, picking things apart, um, trying to take a familiar metaphor or image and seeing if there's a interesting new way to invert it and, and change it. 
And then I guess I, if I am being critical, I think maybe thinking about science fiction, the science fiction probably makes its way into my art just because science fiction is almost always a metaphor for something else. And, um, I don't know. Songwriting oftentimes is more interesting if you can find just a slightly more different way to say it. Everybody has said everything. There's nothing new to say. Mm-hmm. That's what postmodernism is, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> there's there's no way to be actually original anymore except for to remix it and put your own spin on it. And um, science fiction does that better than I think most mediums and genres. Yeah, I I do want to go back and correct you a little Tell bit. Me. Uh, video games do influence you. I'm sure they do. <laughs> because you have a song called <laughs> Emotional Roller Coaster Tycoon. <laughs> okay, okay, you're right, you're right. Which no, is... you're right. I don't know why I said that. No. I'm sure video <laughs> games do. But probably just not as much as maybe some... I Because of where my brain's at when I'm playing right, them. Right, I agree. Um, yeah. But you're right. I'm sure they absolutely do seep in there, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. you're right, though. <laughs> not to you're call like, you, you out. You have a song title that's <laughs> named after a video game? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So up next we have Crash, the saddest song Ben has ever written. I found the apocalypse in your lips and your lips. And your cheeks and telegrams to reach me slowly. I search your wrist for a pulse. It's an art for your heart. But all I heard were sounds of screams and passing cars. I'll be right here. Waiting for you All night, every night I'll be right here Waiting for your ghost to appear So you can haunt me Everywhere I go signal flare in the night Singed a hole through the sky I saw space spin down in spiral as I closed your eyes I'll be right here waiting for you all night So you can haunt me everywhere I go. So no matter what I do, I'll never be alone. Yeah, you can haunt me. Watch me as I sleep. Feel the chill that strikes my spine. So 
That was Crash by Ben Wint. Ben, let's let's talk about sad songs a little bit. Let's. Um, do you find yourself writing a lot of songs that are sad? I write a lot of songs with sadness in them, but I do think I tend. I am at my core definitely an optimist. My grandfather was a member of the Optimist Club, Ooh. and. It was always just this huge part of his identity that he was an optimist, and that was just hugely inspirational to me. Mm-hmm. And I have always worn that like a badge of honor that I'm an optimist, and that that's part of my key identity. And so I, I'm a human being. I experience sadness. Um, <laughs> I listen to a lot of sad songs. <laughs> I mean, I could like bright eyes for crying out loud. Yeah, they're like my favorite. Uh, and uh, yeah, so. I just think that because of who I am and where I come from, it would be disingenuous to write like truly sad songs. So I, I think even my saddest songs almost always have little glimmers of hope and shreds of optimism. But one of my favorite things to do is write a song that's like three fourths sad and then one fourth inspirational or motivational or optimistic. I, yeah. I have a lot of songs where if you up until the third verse or the bridge or whatever you're like wow this is a bummer i have uh-huh. this uh, one song called kintsugi uh that that like features the lyric no matter who you pray to and no matter how hard you try you're never gonna leave it all behind which is a pretty dark oh, heavy lyric yeah and like um but then that song i think it's on like this really really optimistic hopeful note so i'd say i have a ton of sadness in my songs but I don't have a whole lot of songs that I think are at their core sad. Mm-hmm. I try really hard to make them do another thing in addition to that. Yeah. Uh, I, I I pick up on that uh, totally. Um, Which I think even this one has yeah, a little bit. I, yeah, I think it does too. Um, do you want to talk about this song in particular? Sure, yeah. Um, so... Uh, it's kind of a bummer story. Well, you it's know, okay. it's the saddest song I ever wrote. So, um, yeah, my, my son Ezra died uh, when he was three days old. Uh, we found out in time that he uh, died of a metabolic condition called MCAD and uh, basically um, wasn't processing proteins properly. And uh, so, you know, kind of starved to death. And um, that was not great. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It caused me to develop PTSD. Um, yeah, I had already been... Uh, battling anxiety my whole life, but that kind of kicked it up another level. And, you know, um, it's, uh, it's just as bad as anybody would imagine it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's just as sad as anybody would imagine it is. And I, um, I don't know. That song came to me absolutely fully formed it was this strange stretch of days where um, you are the happiest you've ever been in your entire life. 
and you are thinking about the rest of your life and um, how different it is going to be. And then all of a sudden this horrible thing happens and it's, you, you were right. It's not ever going to be different, but not in the way you pictured it at all. And then, um, I don't know. I mean, the days that followed are such a wild blur. I mean, I mean, I remember having to go to a funeral home and talk about my son's funeral and, um, having a visitation at the church that my wife and I had been married in 14 months prior. Wow. And, uh, thinking about how happy we were the last time we were there with all our friends and family, like not even a year and a half before. And, um, you know, like seeing like my high school teachers and, and, and yeah. like, uh, one of my ex-girlfriends and like, um, just all of that. And then I don't know, the song just kind of fell into my lap. I don't remember playing music. I don't really remember much except for not being able to sleep at all. Um, but I must have been playing guitar because I wrote the first draft of this song in time to play at his funeral, um, which I really wanted to do. Yeah. And, um, I think right from the get go, I knew that the specifics of the song, well, not song of the story Mm -hmm. were so heavy (laughs) that I couldn't possibly just write about it. I don't think you can write a maybe good's not the right word. I don't think you can write a listenable song that's like my baby died. I I don't know that you can. Um I haven't heard it if, if it exists. Yeah. So it was like, okay, well I need to make this more broad. This needs to be like a person who died and and missing them. And then I started to ask myself what is a way in which a lot of people lose somebody suddenly, you know? And so I landed on car crash and, um, I liked the word crash for a lot of reasons because it's sudden, it's violent. It also kind of speaks to how you feel when you are absolutely drained. You feel like you've crashed into something, you you know? Um, I liked the word, it's also really harsh. It's very consonant laden. And um, so I just kind of let my imagine kind of imagination fill in details about Ezra and, and losing Ezra um, in this made up backdrop. And it made it maybe a little bit easier to write about, but I also think it probably made it a little bit easier to listen to too. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think probably the song changed a little bit from his funeral on, but I, I, I mm-hmm. was really proud that I was able to write it in time to play it there. I played that and, um, fix you by Coldplay. Um, and, um, for a really long time when I would play it, the bridge, um, or I guess, I guess it's the last chorus. I, I didn't, I didn't say his name cause I wanted it to be more broad. I didn't want to be overly specific and alienate listeners. And then at a point in time I went like, you know what, this is, this is my song for, for me. Uh, so I added his name to the song. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it will always be a weird one where I, I guess I keep waiting to find out that I like totally plagiarized it because it did just completely fall in my lap. 
specifically in a time where like I can't remember anything. Like I, yeah. I like it's all such a crazy blur that it's wild to me that this song just crashed into me, you know, um, but it did. And, um, I didn't fight it. And, um, I don't know. I kind of going back to you saying like, do I write sad songs? Like, I do think this is the saddest song. Cause it's a, one of the only songs I've really successfully written about the saddest thing that's ever happened to me. And like, I don't know, like, God, I hope the saddest <laughs> thing that ever happens yeah, to me. I hope too. Um, <laughs> but, um, I think, uh, I, I think there is some hope in it. You know, I left it, um, I don't know. I mean, like, this is what the podcast is about, but I don't really think that death is the end. I don't know exactly what I think that means. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what that could mean, but I just think the universe teaches us recycling. And, and I think that like, um, you know, like I think about the ocean and like, waves come and they crash into the shore and they go back and you know like just because a wave crested and fell and and is gone now doesn't mean that like that water doesn't exist anymore and yeah. so um i i kind of just was thinking about like um okay well obviously i i'm not a necromancer i can't bring him back but i'm like i guess in this selfish way like you know, I think now further distance, I'd rather he be at peace and not, not be, you know, mourning me or, or mourning, not getting to live with me or whatever. But like, yeah. um, just the idea of like, you know, haunt me, just like linger yeah. around me, like let, let your spirit and your presence be here. Cause the idea of you not being here at all is even, even worse than that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I don't know. I Even with that, I tried to inject a little bit of hope and a little bit of, um, I guess, optimism. Yeah. 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 I, I felt, yeah, definitely like an optimistic haunt. Um, th- yeah, that yeah, you, yeah. You put like a like a, a positive uh, spin on a word that's usually negative. Uh, yeah, I tried to really romanticize. But, that's, I think so. I really tried to make the word haunt seem romantic. Yeah. 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 It's it's a beautiful song, and uh, I'm happy you played it for me. Thanks, man, for sure. Um, yeah, and, and so do you do you play it often? Um, yes and no. It's like one of the only ones ever that there are days where I'm like, I don't have that one in me. <clears throat> yeah, and there are certain shows where I'll have it on the set as an alternate, and like. You know how it goes. Sometimes there's a show where, like, the audience is so attentive and respectful and listening. And then sometimes, like, I don't know, you're playing at a pizza joint. And that's not why people are there. And they're laughing. And, like, it's not yeah. like it's not like they're being rude or mean or heckling you or anything. It's just, like, not as intimate of a show. And I, I can't bring myself to conjure, uh, not to use ghost imagery, <laughs> um, the realness of that song if I'm not comfortable and, and like feeling like the audience is going to bounce it back at me. If that yeah. makes sense. It's one of the only ones like that I can put on my good musical theater face and just like power through any other song. But that's the one where like, you know what? This, this crowd's a little bit ruckus. I would rather not sing my really private personal song. Yeah. Uh, in this room right now. And that's not a pretentious thing. That's not me judging the audiences. That's a me thing. That's me being like, I, I don't, it takes enough 
of my life force that I need it to, I don't know what the equation is, but there's a certain amount of active listenership that I need to feel like I can do that one and not, I don't know. You got to be careful not to hurt yourself. Right. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And understandably. So not wanting to, yeah. Yeah. Put that into the room. That's not going to accept. Yeah. And also like you could kill the vibe too. Like, I mean, like I'm always thinking about that too. Again, like if I'm like, I I don't know this fictional pizza place that I'm talking about, like, (laughs) I don't want to like be like, this next one's about my dead son while they're like enjoying some, you know, a calzone. Like, yeah. like that's a bummer. Like nobody wants that. <laughs> I can acknowledge that. So yeah, it depends on the circumstance. Um, but in general, if I'm playing and the crowd's more or less attentive, then I'm, I'm not afraid to play it. Cause I think it's a really good song and I'm really proud of it. And it helps me feel connected to him, which is the most important part of it all. So, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing the story and, and, for sure. and sharing the song. Yeah. Yeah. We will let's uh, pivot to a, a happier no a little bit oh so yeah <laughs> no no <laughs> the war in Ukraine no slightly no <laughs> but uh, I, I do want to talk a little bit about um, the Rhino and what you what you do there with with Song Lab with the shows you have come come through um, it's an important place to me me too yeah um, yeah man. Um, my whole life, uh, I've loved music and, and being at, at shows and concerts, and a lot of the most important moments of my whole life have been uh, at live music yeah. events, you know? And um, when I had the opportunity to kind of present itself to get involved with the Rhino, I, uh, I, I, I put in my two weeks' notice at my, my other job and, and was like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw myself yeah. into it. I talked to my wife. I was like... I have no idea what this is going to look like financially. I have no idea <laughs> what the ceiling is. I have no idea what the floor is. I don't, I don't yeah. know, but this, we have to try this. And my amazing wife, Sarah, who's my best friend and, um, you know, just always has my back, uh, was like, yeah, of course, absolutely. Like we have to do this, you know? And, um, I, I think being somebody who has spent so much time, um, on both sides of the microphone I, I and on both sides of the stage. I have stage manager experience. I have audio engineer experience. I have stage, you know, performance experience. I yeah. have booking per- experience. I started booking shows when I was about 15 years old. And, um, you know, which means, gosh, I'm so old, which means I've been <laughs> doing it for more than half of my life. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, uh, I just have always known in my heart that if I got a legit opportunity to do it, that this is hard for me. I don't like talking positively about myself, but my therapist says that I need to work on it. <laughs> and um, I know that I'm good at it. Yeah. I know that I'm good at it. I know that I am good at it. And um, I care. I care a lot. I'm very passionate about Kansas City and local music and trying to set especially young artists, but just artists in general up with stage opportunities and performance opportunities that maybe times in my career I didn't have to um, create a very high floor for what a, you know, scatter quotes, uh, like week night or Mm -hmm. or bad show is like, you know, like um, let's remove not getting paid from the equation. Let's remove... (laughs) 
the the bar is playing music while your music's going on from the equation. Let's remove like actually bad stuff. And now let's make the floor be like, oh, not as many people came as I wanted or whatever, you know, like, can we can we with just 15 percent more effort make a a place where like even the worst show is better than a mediocre show at a bad venue, you know, and yeah. then by doing so, I think you raise the ceiling and have the opportunity that like a great show can be truly phenomenal and stick with people and resonate with people. And, um, I think I was already really grateful of it and the opportunity that I had. And then the pandemic happened and I don't know about you, but I mean, like I've always been very well aware of the fact that like I will go away someday, mm -hmm. but I had never thought about the fact that while I'm alive, that music could go away. I had, I, I am a doom spiraler anxiety monster. Right. And that thought had never once crossed my mind when all of a sudden, maybe December, 2019 or so I'm reading the news and my brain goes, if this gets bad enough, concerts will go away. I remember just being like, that's crazy. How is that possible? And then living it for almost two years, you know? Um, but no, I think, um, it, for that, you know, selfishly, I mean, I'm very well aware of the fact of what a privileged sentence I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> for me, that aspect of the pandemic worked out really well because um, the ownership changed. I was brought on as an owner and was given even more encouragement and power to make it my own than I had before. And um, it's always a team effort. I never, ever, ever want to hear have anybody hear me say something like that and think, oh, well, Ben thinks he's the rhino. You know, I mean, it, it takes a village. You know, there are so many people, um, people who have booked shows with us, for us, bartenders, sound people, front of house people, of course, the musicians themselves. It's it's never about me. But, um, you know, from my vantage point, from my angle, um, getting to do it and um, to watch it grow, um, you know, I mean, Song Lab and, and all of that is, is so important to me. When I was in college, I there was this just crappy hole-in-the-wall bar, uh, <laughs> Bottom Feeder Bay on Pine Street. There is no way it is still there in, in Lawrenceburg. <laughs> Did a weekly open mic, and uh, some of the theater kids and I, we, we, we would go. Um, I was really one of the only ones who was like a I, I play songs person, but if you performed, you got uh, a free drink. So uh, <laughs> college kids are like, wait, I can just get on stage for three minutes and yeah. give me a whiskey sour? Let's go. And um, we started to really kind of make this tight-knit group, and the, the two or three of us that did write songs would you know, come with new songs and give each other notes. And I, I had always said to myself that if I ever got the opportunity to do an open mic, I, would, I wanted to take the, the little seed of that and grow it and... Um, you know, create a space that really feels like a true community where people are coming with their music, giving each other advice, networking, making yeah. friends, meeting people. You know, I think one of the hardest things about booking shows and organizing shows is like, there's just so much content. There are so many people. I mean, in a city like Casey, that's like greater metropolitan population, 2 million people. Like there's so many talented musicians. How are you supposed to find them? Right. And it's like, well, the least we can do is like create a space that is like a magnet for talent and then come meet each other and then you get to hear each other. And, um, you know, so I, I just, um, I don't know without getting too dark. Whenever, whenever I was at my absolute rock bottom with my PTSD and stuff like that, I mean, I, I battled suicidal thoughts 
pretty regularly for about a whole year. And I wanted to die. I didn't just think about dying. I wanted to die. And I couldn't imagine how my life could possibly get better. Uh, I couldn't imagine how the hole in me could ever feel smaller, let alone full. And I, I made it out because of my wife and my family and my therapists and my psychiatrist. And, um, now I'm happier than I ever (laughs) thought I could be and more content. And, um, I just always feel like I'm living on borrowed time because I made it out and a lot of people don't. So I feel an obligation to, to help as many people as I can and to be as positive as I can and to just, I don't know, make as many sources of light as I possibly can through ripple effects. And, uh, the best way I know how to do that is with music. So, so I, that's the, the, the weapon of choice that I've landed on. Yeah. You've, you've done that for me. Um, yeah. The rhino is like, sorry, I get emotional. Don't I be sorry. Like, yeah. I get emotional. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, have you seen up? I can't. Yeah. I, I've never made it past the first ten minutes. I can't. I don't even know. Yeah, how it it's my favorite place on earth, honestly. <laughs> Dude, that makes me really happy because I I feel similar. I I um, yeah, man. I mean, um, I don't know. It's really a, it's a everybody has to feel at home at some point, you know, or else. I mean, what is what a sad lonely feeling that a lot of us oftentimes do, you know. And, and so, it, um, I yeah, I'm so grateful. I can't. I like. The fact that we made it through the pandemic feels un- unreal. I mean, the city, yeah. this city lost so many venues. And uh, the fact that we're still standing and we get to be here and be here for for everybody, that I get to meet amazing people like you. And, and um, I, I don't know. I, I don't um, – I, I'll never know if this is even how the universe <laughs> works. I'll never know what I did to deserve it. But yeah. I, I feel – uh, beyond blessed and, and lucky that it exists and that I get to meet so many cool people and work with so many cool people and look, if it ends next year, it ends next year, but every single day I have it is, uh, is it, is a day where it's a lot easier to be an optimist. I'll yeah. say that. Yeah. Well, um, just huge thank you for everything you do. And thank you, Jack. This is the best podcast on the whole internet. The Aww, whole internet. Thank you. And so, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Oh, my oh gosh. My gosh. <laughs> we said that in, yeah. in, in unison. That's great. Um, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Where oh can we gosh. find you, your music? Yeah, I don't really do social media anymore for my mental health. Same. I do technically yeah. have some. Um, hey underscore Shotzi is like my Twitter. I basically just go on there to like tweet a joke every, I don't know, couple of weeks. Uh, my last one was uh, a really, really stupid uh, Will Smith Oscars joke. Um, <laughs> that has to do with Game of Thrones. And um, yeah, I, I mean, the way, way back, I'm really proud of our band. Um, our, our most recent record, uh, Baggage, or You're Never Gonna Leave It All Behind, is on all platforms. Our new record, Trying, by the end of May. So depending on, I don't know, if you're listening to this in the future, uh, maybe <laughs> it's streaming on all platforms. But yeah, end of May, um, start of June, right around there. We'll be, we'll be streaming on all platforms. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess just keep your eyes and ears open for more Land Lion stuff because I am really excited. I'm hoping that maybe late this year or early, early, early next year will be when I do that double EP thing. But, um, yeah, and then go, I guess, here's what I'll plug, is 
go go see local music. Go yeah. go just go see local music. Just please just do it. And if you're you have a friend that's in a band, just go go see their band. And and if you're in a band, go to other people's freaking shows. <laughs> yes. You want people to come to yours. So go to other people's. That's how it works. Just do it. Sorry, I don't mean to get all dad. No. But like just do it. Just do the thing. Do it. You're not cooler because you don't. You're cooler because you do. Awesome. I totally agree. Um, thank you so much, Ben. Thank you. Hi, Jack here. I just wanted to thank Ben again for coming on and also for just being the person that he is. I look up to Ben as a songwriter and a human. He is a light in the darkness, and I'm so, so happy to have him in my life. I get emotional when I talk about the Rhino because it really is a special place for music in this town and a special place for me. So please go support what they're doing by going to shows, going to open mic, and of course, buying hams. You also really, really need to check out the Way Way Back. They are an absolute joy to see live, and they make some of my favorite music in Kansas City. As always, if you'd like to check out some of my music, you can find it on all of the streaming platforms under my name, Jack Summers. You can also stay up to date on shows and other news by following me on my Instagram at Jack Summers Music or subscribing to my mailing list at jacksummersmusic.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Old New Bard and Blues, and keep on keeping on.